And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, your host of Atlantic and Coastal, Virginia Tech football beat writer for The Athletic. Uh, not feeling great. I'm at the tail end of a cold here, so I apologize for the sound of my voice uh, and any kind of coughing you might hear in the background, but we're going to soldier through this. We're going to do it. It's a big week. The college football playoff rankings are out. Uh, Wake Forest is in the top 10 for the first time in school history. Miami is back from the dead, and the Pitt Panthers are who we thought they were. Plus, there's a little bit of basketball to look forward to. The ACC season about to get started next week. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a preview of that at the very end of this podcast. And the perfect guy to talk about this, especially the basketball part, Brendan Marks. He covers UNC and Duke basketball for us at The Athletic. But I don't want to pigeonhole you to just that. You do so much for us at The Athletic. You can cover many things. Brendan, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm I'm glad to be here. And uh, hopefully I can help fill the void that... Uh that your that your sickness is is inflicting on you. I'm so so sorry. I know. As I was saying before we came on air, I'm a massive baby. So lots of credit to you, Andy, for even trying to come on and do this. Well, it was last week because my daughter was at home sick for a day, so I got sick as a result. And then I had to go to Atlanta to cover a Virginia Tech Georgia Tech football game, and I basically just stayed in the hotel the entire time. So hopefully things will be gone and cleared up by the time I have to fly to Boston tomorrow for the Boston College game against Virginia Tech this week. That's neither here nor there. Let's get to this initial college football playoff rankings. They are out, and it's weird. Clemson is nowhere to be found. It's not weird that they're not in there. They shouldn't be in there this year. It's weird that Clemson has been this staple, and we expect it to be in the, the, the rankings top four all the time, and it was bizarre to see those rankings and no tiger paw among those logos that they're revealing each week. The ACC team that is up there, Highest in the rankings, Wake Forest, uh, number nine. Two other teams made the top 25 here. NC State at number 19, Pitt at number 25. Uh, maybe a little surprised by those two being in the rankings, but then you look at the coaches' poll, NC State's 22nd, Pitt is 25th there. So it's not really too much of a departure. Uh, Brendan, I'm curious about the Deacons. Number nine, that is the lowest of the Power Five unbeatens up there. They're even below Cincinnati, another unbeaten team as well. Uh, does that sound about right for, for Wake Forest and its profile right now? Well, I, it's hard to say, right? Because again, like you mentioned, this is the lowest of the undefeated power fives below several one loss power fives, um, you know, below Cincinnati who, who is undefeated as well and definitely has a better resume than Wake Forest. I think the thing is you look at Wake Forest right now and, Yes, they, they are not Clemson. Yes, they are not, uh, you know, th their defense is not terrific. Um, they're very much, you know, a, a team that is powered by the offensive side of the ball and whatever Sam Hartman's able to do. 
But you look at who they've played and who they've beaten, and, and especially the way the committee has dinged other teams. You know, you look at Cincinnati. The idea of who has Cincinnati beaten, well, just the top 10 team on the road. If Cincinnati has that and they're not able to crack the top five, then I can see why the committee puts Wake Forest where it does. The thing to me that I think is a little difficult to swallow is, I think if you're Wake Forest, I, I don't know how much of a pathway there is even coming in at this point in the initial rankings to eventually getting into the top four, even if you run the table the rest of the way. I just don't know if there is a viable path for them. And I think that not just to people in the ACC, but but to college football fans in general, the idea of a of an undefeated Power 5 conference champion potentially being excluded from the top four, um, that's something that I'm not sure how to feel about quite yet, especially after Clemson got the benefit of the doubt so many years. So I don't know. What do you, what do you make of Wake Forest coming in where they are? Fair? Unfair? Just about right. It's probably fair. Uh, you look at their schedule, and what is the best win so far? Is it Virginia? Probably Virginia on the road by twenty points. I mean, Virginia has turned out to be a pretty good team there. Uh, that's not uh, comparable to some of those other big wins that are in the top ten. Uh, I do always like people that are like poo-pooing Cincinnati's resumes. Like, well, who have they beaten? You take away that Notre Dame and who win and who have they beaten? You take away any team's best win. Best win. <laughs> when you've played seven or eight games, and it's not going to be this just murderer's row of teams they have played. Now, things get tougher here for Wake Forest coming up. They go at North Carolina this week in a non-conference game. Wrap your heads around that one, everyone. Uh, NC State after that at Clemson at Boston College. Uh, in a typical year, that Clemson game alone would be the opportunity to vault up uh, and, and be an impressive win and sort of the, the marquee one on your schedule. You don't have that this year. Uh, NC State currently, uh, you know, the, the best game or the best chance they can to make a big impression on that and perhaps whatever uh, ACC championship game they get in. But even that's not going to be some just like boost up into the top 10. So. Uh, yeah, it's tough, and people wrap their mind about, oh, can a Power 5 unbeaten team be left out? It's like, yes, when it's Wake Forest. Um, that's what happens. And it's, yeah. it's try to say, oh, the name doesn't matter, the reputation doesn't matter. Yes, it does, and where you start matters because Wake Forest is trying to, to make up ground that has been so far behind uh, in, in this poll before. So, uh, yeah, it's unfair probably but you look at the resume and you compare it to other other teams that are ahead of them and i i i think it's probably right where they are and i you know i'm with you i, I think if they win out it doesn't necessarily guarantee that they get into the playoff which would be a shame which is why they should go to 12 teams let's just do it right now i, I mean saw, it's gonna happen soon right <laughs> i saw a 12 team model that was out there and it had wake forest as the nine seed and oklahoma as the eight seed feeding into number one seed georgia in the next round, I'm like, let's just do this. This sounds so fun. Is anybody against this? Uh, the the fine folks, I, I can't see a way. I mean, if you're if you're in, if you're Cincinnati, you love it because then you don't have to continue fighting this group of five, you know, albatross that you've picked up from UCF and are now carrying. Um, this, I got a question for you, Andy. Let's say that you know we, we all understand the struggles that Clemson has had offensively. Um, their receivers have struggled to get separation. Will Shipley finally looks like he might be sort of a solution in that backfield. Um, DJ Uyagalai still looks like he's playing in his own head. But that defense is still stocked. E- even now, after the number of injuries they've had, it's still stocked. It's still one of the best defenses in the league. If Wake Forest were to win convincingly and, and to put up a lot of points, some style points, you know, that style points, jazz hands sort of deal, if they're able to do that against Clemson, do you think that that 
I, to me, that's probably represents the best boost that Wake Forest can do for itself in terms of trying to, to climb up the rankings a little bit. I think so, just because people will say that the names don't matter, but they do. Right. And like NC State is better than Clemson this year. They've already shown it on the field that they're a better team. And yet I feel like Wake Forest will get more credit for beating a team like Clemson than beating NC State. Uh, so you're always fighting these perceptions. I mean, it's why Alabama is number two right now even with one loss, because there's no team in America that gets more free passes than Alabama. I, Their know, losses tweet, don't count. <laughs> right, I tweeted that. Like, why play the games? Let's just do it based on recruiting rankings and you know what does Vegas say the favorite's going to be. I mean, at a certain point, the games have to matter, and they should really matter when you're only eight games into the season, and you're like, okay, you're comparing resumes. Like, yeah, maybe 12, 13 games in that, that uh, you start to see, oh, that one loss doesn't matter so much, but it should matter quite a bit at this point, and it still doesn't which has just got to be infuriating uh, for schools trying to, to, to break into that uh, good old boys club there and get up there at the top like Wake Forest. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, it, it's going to be a tough road ahead for Wake Forest. I want to get to that here. Let's look at their path a little bit closer. The, the Deacons beat Duke 45-7 to last week. They're 8-0. Best start in program history. And they're going on the road to UNC. Like I said, this is a non-conference game. Thanks for that ACC scheduling model that requires these schools to go out of, out of conference to schedule each other when they're like an hour away on the road or whatever the drive is between the two. Uh, UNC is favored by two and a half points in this game. Shocking. Explain Stunning. that one to me. I, it's appalling. I, I don't quite get it. It makes no sense at all. Um, and, I, and I've seen that the line has even come down. I think it might have started at three and a half and it's come back down to two and a half. But the idea that... A UNC team whose defense is, um, you know, insert adjective that's synonymous with being terrible. Uh, the idea that they're suddenly going to stop the best offense in the ACC, maybe, um, and do so after just getting their clocks cleaned against Notre Dame on that side of the ball. I, I just really don't understand it. Um, and for a couple of years now under Mac Brown, UNC has had this duality going where they go on the road and they lose these horrible stinky games, but at least they take care of business at home. And that hasn't been the case this year. I mean, they lost, they lost to Florida state at home, um, you know, really struggle with Miami. So I, I, I struggle to see why the line is what it is. Um, and certainly I think, you know, I don't think that anybody is expecting North Carolina win, which just says so much. I mean, we, we you were just saying, just go by recruiting rankings in the college football playoff. Well, North Carolina is going to be the outlier there in the other direction. So um, it's not been the season at all that North Carolina expected, and I don't think life gets any easier this weekend. Yeah, there's this strange trance that Mac Brown and the Tar Heels have over the public consciousness where they're just like, Everybody thinks they should be better. And it's like we're eight games into the season at this point. Like you kind of, like what's that old Bill Parcells thing? You are what your record is. Like yeah. that's you know, the Tar Heels are what their record is. They're not in this thing. They're not that good this year. Uh this could be a highly entertaining game though. Uh last year's game, fifty nine to fifty three. UNC won that. Sam Hartman and Sam Howell, uh, apparently to be a good quarterback, you need to be named Sam, uh, combined for 979 passing yards and 10 touchdowns in last year's game. Uh, are we going to see something similar to that this weekend? Because the over-under is set at 75 and a half right now. I just went to look that up to see what it was because I'm mashing the over. Mashing it. I mean, uh, th and that's the thing. You know, U UNC – for as many struggles as they've had this season, and obviously this year has, like I said, in no way panned out the way they wanted it to, the offense is still there. 
I mean, Sam Howell is is going to end up by the end of this year as UNC's career record holder in, in just about every single offensive category. He's already got you know half the records, but he's about to have even more. And I think the the thing that obviously has come about mostly as a result of necessity this year is his ability to run the football. And this is something that you saw from him in high school when he was being recruited. He was a guy who was rushing for, you know, 1,500-ish yards a season. But um, you go and look, and right now I I believe Sam Howell is right at the top of North Carolina's, you know, rushing rankings. I mean, uh, so the fact that the fact that he's able to influence the game in both ways. UNC did just have a wide receiver, Emory Simmons, going to the transfer portal, um, but they only throw to Josh down, so it doesn't even matter. Uh, I think that again, you're, you're going to see a team that is capable of putting up 40 points and the defense that's capable of allowing, you know, 45. So it, it really, the, the problems with North Carolina this year have been on the defensive side of the ball, and um, you know, Jay Baton is getting a lot of heat for that, and to some extent, deservedly so. Who are you taking in this one? Wake Forest. The line, line two and a half by UNC. I, I, yeah, I think I'm with you. I mean, yeah. you're getting an unbeaten 8-0 team. I know they're on the road, but I just don't buy this North Carolina thing. It feels like the public is still on North Carolina for some reason, and I just can't figure it out. Andy, here, I got some numbers for you, and they're not kind. They're not kind numbers. Um, North Carolina this year is 100th in scoring defense. They're allowing 30.8 points per game. They're 91st in yards allowed per play, 5.85 yards per play allowed per game. Uh Against Notre Dame, like I said, not exactly an offensive juggernaut uh, up there in South Bend this year. UNC allowed Notre Dame to have uh, season highs in rushing yards, yards per carry, and recorded the longest run by an opponent against the Tar Heels in school history, a 91-yarder by Kyron Williams. You take out that 91-yarder by Kyron Williams, Notre Dame still rushed for its most rushing yards and yards per play. The numbers don't change. You take out the longest play against UNC in school history, the numbers don't change. So the Tar Heels defense right now, it, it's just bad. Um, the, again, they had an, uh, in addition to Emory Simmons jumping in the portal, they just had a defensive lineman, Christian Varner, jump in the portal. Um, they've struggled to really find consistency on that side of the ball. I just don't see a way that North Carolina is able to stop Sam Hartman. And for that reason, I go with the Deacons. It, it's like complete chaos and, and like just unorganization on North Carolina side. And then just like steady every week, Wake Forest. And it just seems like the steady side should win out in this matchup. I think we're sort of in agreement on that one. The other big result from last weekend, I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, Miami beat Pitt. 38 to 34 this is a game that's going on as the game i was covering uh, a noon game last week so i was just following it uh, on the game cast on espn uh this sounded like a fun one to watch lots of offense tyler van dyke threw for 426 and three touchdowns his effort was dwarfed by kenny pickett who threw for 519 and three <laughs> casual <touchdowns>. casual <laughs> two interceptions though including one late that was pretty significant in this uh, Miami all of a sudden has beaten back-to-back top 20 teams. Uh, NC State and and Pitt now. Uh, Manny Diaz felt like he was gone and now all of a sudden has new life there. Uh, Pitt, meanwhile, this feels like what we thought was going to happen with Pitt. We were all waiting for this to happen at some point. I'm curious, are you more impressed by Miami in this win or are you more disappointed by Pitt? Uh, I think I go with more impressed by Miami because I'm I'm not – all that disappointed in Pitt. Like you said, I think this was a lot of us expected to eventually happen. You know, I think that, um, hard to say that one loss is the bottom falling out, but you know, even putting up 500 yards, I mean, Kenny Pickett, that late interception sort of seals it. And, you know, he hasn't made many bad decisions this year, but, um, 
you know, he, he made two against the Hurricanes and they came back to bite him. And I think, you know, probably on, on the Miami side of things, you look at Tyler Van Dyke, think about how difficult a situation that was, you know, coming in for, for Dierick and um, just the last two weeks, Manny Diaz is gone. You know, before that NC State game, he's gone. He's not back. He's gone. And to come in and play the way that he's played against two teams that, um, you know, have have some NFL caliber guys on the defensive side of the ball against two teams that have, by and large, been much more consistent than you have all season, um, especially out-dueling, you know, out-dueling Kenny Pickett, you know, a potential Heisman candidate at the time. Uh, I, I just think it's a really impressive job by Tyler Van Dyke. And I think that, you know, I don't know if it's enough. I don't know if, you know, if Miami drops a couple more games here, is that enough for the Tide to swing back against Manny? Maybe. I'm not one to say. Um, But I definitely think you have to give the Hurricanes credit because their season was, you know, hanging by a thread. And and rather than snapping it, they uh, have woven a little bit of rope. So I I thought it was a pretty impressive job, an impressive comeback, especially the way that Pitt did come back, charging back at at the beginning of that second half. This is really strange. You look at how small the margin of error is in some of these guys. We're talking about Manny Diaz being like gone a couple weeks ago. Like it was over for him. Everybody had agreed on that. Now the Canes are four and four. They're two and two in the ACC. They have a head to head tiebreaker with Pitt. This is their schedule coming up Georgia Tech at Florida State, Virginia Tech, and at Duke. They could win each of those games. And we're Easily. talking about – and you go back and you look at this season. They missed that 33-yard field goal against UVA. I and mean, this is a gimme field goal to win the game. Miami could be 3-1 and one in the ACC right now and in full control of everything with an easy schedule left. And we're talking about the difference between like he very easily could have been fired and very easily could be you know the runaway leader in the coastal division. And I feel like you look at Virginia Tech as sort of the same way. And we'll talk about them in a little bit. But it's amazing to me just how fine that line is between genius and idiot. And and you know you're the greatest guy ever, and you're on the verge of getting fired. Well, and at the same time, I mean, you mentioned three and one. Miami had a great chance to beat North Carolina too at home in Keenan Stadium. So uh, yeah, I, I think you know. The margin of error is so, so fine. Um, but again, I, I think, you know, a lot of the credit does go to, to Tyler Van Dyke, the way he's played, the way he's led this offense, um, especially, you know, they've had so many injuries in the backfield. Um, he has sort of uh, in the, very quickly in the mid- middle of the season become the constant for, for that Hurricanes offense. And, you know, you mentioned those four games. I, I very easily can see the Hurricanes going and winning three or four of those. Well, Miami, 10-point favorite this week against Georgia Tech. I think the Yellow Jackets have given them trouble in the past, so maybe that's not quite the gimme that we're making it out to be there, but you would expect them to win that. I saw Georgia Tech last week. Not impressed by that team. It doesn't feel like in year three they're really on the verge of turning that corner. They've got a tough schedule coming up. Still have to play Georgia at the end of the year, so that's tough. (coughs) The Pitt side of things. Uh, where do we stand on Pitt now? This is twice that they've lost while scoring 34 or more points. Uh, that's not something you expect from a Pitt-type team. This is a different type of Pitt team than what we've seen in the past. Uh, they should get right this week. They're 21-point favorites at Duke. I feel pretty comfortable in saying that Pitt's going to bounce back with a victory against the Blue Devils there. <laughs> After that, though, they play UNC. They host UVA, and they play at Syracuse. And all of a sudden, that looks a lot trickier than what you think. And I know we spent the first segment here sort of bashing UNC, but they can score. 
And they're a team that can go up and down the field with you, and Pitt has lost games like that. UVA can score. This is provided Brennan Armstrong is okay. He had a rib injury, uh, I think, last week against BYU. We'll see how that turns out. And Syracuse, all of a sudden, is not bad. They're a very tough out, and you play them up in the dome. You never know what's going to happen with that. Uh, Do we still feel pretty good about Pitt as the Coastal Division favorites, or are we waffling on that all of a sudden? Yeah, I, I, here's the thing for me about Pitt. Um, even you know, even when Kenny Pickett before this Miami game, you know, when he was potential Heisman candidate, Kenny Pickett, when he was you know eighth year quarterback, uh, you better know where every throw should be going, Kenny Pickett. Um, the the margin was still sort of fine. You know, he had to play so outstanding every week. I think for Pitt to continue at that level that they were at, and, and really, I think you saw against Miami, even one or two bad decisions really sort of. You know, that, that's how fine their margin is. You know, I don't think this is a tremendous football team. I think this is a fine football team with a really good quarterback who's capable of making some game-winning plays. So, um, I, you know, like you mentioned, the, the Duke game is going to be a get-right game, 100%, as uh, has, you know, any team that's struggling, just schedule Duke right now. Uh, I feel really bad for, for what's going on there. But uh, North Carolina's defense, you know, in theory should be the same thing. But, uh, you know, UNC, like you mentioned, Andy, is going to be – putting up points they're going to be going up and down the field so you got to be able to put some some points on the board yourself and you know i I think that absolutely uh can still make to the acc championship game i think that those two defenses you know allow you a little bit of a chance to get back in rhythm get back to what you were doing so well um but at the same time I, i think that the expectations for kenny pickett not that they should be lower but they're so high right now and he has to play at such a tremendous level every week for them to win um you see what happens when he's even just a little bit off so uh I, I, it's hard to say I have less confidence in them. I, I just thought Kenny Pickett was really on a heater, and now that he maybe comes back to earth a little bit, I think this is sort of just the pit team that we all expected to see. I love the fact that Coastal Chaos is like back in play. Like it was looking like, okay, Pitt's going to run away with this thing. They got a lead on everybody, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a second. Now if UVA can beat Pitt, they can, they can win that. Say Pitt loses twice, and all of a sudden that brings a couple other teams back in. Uh, you know, Miami has a head-to-head tiebreaker. Uh, Virginia Tech was looking dead uh, before because it lost to Pitt, but now if it can get some help elsewhere, maybe it can go on a little run against an easy schedule. Uh, I'm just glad that uh, we can use the phrase coastal chaos because if you don't use it in a given year, I think you lose the trademark on it. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> familiar with uh, U.S. patent law or anything like that, trademark law, uh, but I think that's how it works. We just screwed up the names. Coastal chaos. Coastal chaos is inevitable. We just had the wrong teams pegged this year. We we thought that that uh, you know mid October North Carolina Miami game was going to decide it. Uh, we 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 picked the wrong game. We picked the wrong teams. But no, it's it's certainly you know I think right now if I you know. If I had to pick someone, um, it's hard to argue with the momentum that Miami is generating right now. It's hard to argue with the way Tyler Van Dyke's played. Um, you know, Pitt obviously is, a, is, you know, they've got Kenny Pickett, but I, I, I don't know. Something about Manny Diaz and these Hurricanes coming back from the dead. I think I'd still stick with Pitt just because, I don't know. I saw Pitt in person and they obliterated Virginia Tech, and I, I, I just like the way that they played. I know that they mess up and they pull a pit every now and then but they've they bounce back from a previous pit episode this year against western michigan looked pretty good let's turn the rest of this week's games we got three other ones that we haven't hit yet we'll start with the friday night one uh one i'll be covering virginia tech three-point favorite at boston college uh the hokies got right a little bit last week ended a three-game losing streak beat georgia tech 26 to 17 like i said i don't think georgia tech is that good 
So I don't think I'm going to go proclaim that all of a sudden Justin Fuente is off the hot seat and has saved his job or anything like that. Uh, I think it's still a situation that is probably looking pretty rough for him in this last month just because there's not opportunities to, to change anybody's mind about the direction of this program. Uh, then you flip over to BC. BC cannot score. They have 40 points in four ACC games. That's just not going to get it done. They've been shuffling quarterbacks. Dennis Grizel started last week. They put in Emmett Moorhead, a freshman. Neither of them really distinguished themselves in a loss at Syracuse. Uh, this is a couple of teams that do not score a whole lot of points. I don't know if this is necessarily the Friday night uh, blockbuster <laughs> that the ACC was hoping for. How many people are actually going to tune in and watch this thing? Well, you're going to be there, so you're going to be one of the few, Andy. Uh, I'm, I mean, it's, it's not going to be a packed crowd either. <laughs> I don't think Chestnut Hill is going to be uh, shoulder to shoulder for, for this game. No, especially not. Cons- it, it, I'm sure it'll be a, a balmy 40 degrees if you're lucky. Um, but no, I, you know, I, the interesting thing is actually something that you just mentioned with Fuente, and it is um, you mentioned last week and, and a little bit of a get right game against the Yellow Jackets, and obviously this, um, you know, Boston College without without Yurkovich this year, things have sort of gone off the rails. They've gone sideways pretty quickly. But you mentioned the fact that there still aren't that many opportunities for Fuente to get the program moving back in the right direction. Um, you know, I think obviously his job situation is something that I feel like you've been talking about for three years now. Um, yes. <laughs> very old. Is there, is, is there, what is the way that he shows over the rest of Virginia Tech season that the program is headed the right direction if that exists? Well, I think it would have to start with winning out. But even that, I don't know if it gets you there. Because it, you know, I guess up until recently, Miami had not been impressive. The next two games are BC and Duke. People expect you to win those games. Uh, Miami had not been impressive. Maybe that changes now because Miami has shown a bit of a pulse. And then UVA in the finale. And UVA is better this year, but Virginia Tech fans don't look at that as some game that's like quite an accomplishment that you win it. They look at it as they expect you to win that game. That's something you're supposed to do. Go back to that Chris Rock bit uh, from the late 90s. It's something you're supposed to do is beat UVA. So, uh, you know, I think they look at the offensive numbers here this year, and this is his specialty. This is something he was brought in to sort of change the direction of the program, the trajectory of the program with the offense, and it hasn't changed much in, in by year six. Now, they have been better in the past, but not this year. And I think it has to make people wonder, hey, this guy was brought in to elevate this program, and he hasn't done it. And now it's the third or fourth year where we're talking about the exact same things and the exact same issues. How do you generate excitement around this program? They're in the middle of a big fundraising push on this. How do you justify as the athletic director bringing him back again next year and having this same conversation again? And if they get off to a rough start, everybody's like, that's it, I'm not donating anymore. It just feels like... For both parties, really, it might just be better just to go their separate ways. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely get that sense and sentiment. And, you know, it's so funny because you think back to, you know, I remember how much you and I talked leading up to the season opener and, and how much of a statement that potentially could have been for the Hokies beating North Carolina, you know, sold out Lane Stadium. And, and they get the win, and that's great and all. But in hindsight, it, you know, that win doesn't look all that impressive. I mean, you, you didn't even score 20 points against the Tar Heels defense that, you know, you, me, and a couple of our colleagues might be able to score a touchdown against. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's there's a, some level of apathy, I think, that you see. Um, and, 
but no, I, I know you're tired of, of talking about this, so I'm sure you're glad I brought it up. But I, I just think it's it's fascinating that, you know, we, we talk about how, how things for Manny Diaz down at Miami were so cut and dry, and obviously it's a different situation, different time period. But um, the fact that he has, I think, been able to do a little bit more of that momentum changing and show, hey, you know, we do have life. We do have fight. There's a little bit of excitement now. Um, and that just hasn't been the case in Blacksburg. Yeah, uh, I'll probably lean the Hokies in that one by three just because BC doesn't score a lot, but I wouldn't feel comfortable about it. I think if I actually bet it, I might even take BC just to get the plus odds on it. But uh, obviously, ethically, I will not bet on the game, <laughs> uh, even if I could. Uh, NC State, uh, two-and-a-half-point favorite at Florida State. Uh, I saw this line, and I went, hmm, like, interesting. Like, I know Florida State has been a little bit better lately, uh, put up some fight against Clemson uh, with a, a brutal uh, loss for gamblers on that one. Bad uh, beat. All-time bad saw, beat. <laughs> was, oh, my gosh. I was watching that in the hotel room, and I'm like, I've lo- I've actually lost a fantasy football game that way before on a fumble on, like, a multilateral. And it was, like, the Monday night game, the last game of the week. And I'm like, this is a possibility here that they could do this. And sure enough, and the Clemson guy stayed on off his uh, – uh, got his knees up across the line – uh, for the touchdown like that. So that's just a lesson to never gamble on sports. But at the same time, also gamble on sports because it's kind of fun. Anyway, back to this line. Two-and-a-half-point favorite for NC State. You know, NC State is a ranked team here. They've been playing pretty well. I know they've had all sorts of injuries and things like that. Did you think this would be a bigger line than two-and-a-half? Yeah, I, I definitely did. And um, I, I was pretty surprised, like you were, that it was as, as small as it was. I, I I still don't know if Devin Leary is getting the respect uh, in the conference and sort of, you know, maybe in the region that he deserves. You know, I, I think uh, David Hale at ESPN was putting out some numbers on social media. I forget if it was earlier this week or last week, but, um, you know, Devin Leary's had multiple touchdown passes and no picks in, in six straight games. You know, he is one of 10 Power 5 quarterbacks with 2,100 yards and 21 touchdowns. Like, Devin Leary last year before the injury was playing really, really well. And he's doing the same thing again this year. And, um, you know, I, I think NC State has probably one of the better offensive lines in the ACC at this point. But, yeah, I was I was surprised. I know that the, the Seminoles have been a little bit better of late. And I know that, um, you know, obviously that loss to Miami, I, I think – you look at that maybe a little differently after Miami's able to also beat Pitt. Um, you take a little bit of the the sting away from NC State having lost the week before, but um, I, I think NC State is a good offensive team. So yeah, I was a little bit surprised that it was that close, and, and I definitely in that situation I'm taking NC State. I'm, I'm taking the spread there. Are we just sleeping on the Wolfpack at this point? I mean, if they beat Wake Forest, they're in control of the Atlantic Division. Yeah, and, and I mean, just because they lost the game a couple weeks ago. I mean, I, I know the injuries are mounting. And they are. Isaiah, Isaiah Moore going down too, in addition to Peyton Wilson. It's like, man, how much how much can that defense lose? But then they looked pretty good beating Louisville last week defensively. I mean, they, they needed a rally in the fourth quarter. They were trailing in the fourth quarter of that game and 21 uh, straight points to win that thing. But, you know, they still won rather comfortably. They beat Clemson earlier this year. We we are not talking about this. Like I know Clemson's not the team that we all thought they were, but they beat Clemson, and, and that's that's a good win. You know, being able to score points against that defense is a good thing. Um, so yeah, I think the Wolfpack are just generally being slept on. Uh, I think you know we we look at that one loss and we go, okay, well NC State isn't anything. The the game I think that you know I, I know just for me uh, living in Durham and living in Chapel Hill. 
a lot of North Carolina fans are now looking at that that Black Friday game between the Tar Heels and the Wolfpack and saying, okay, well, we thought North Carolina was, we thought NC State was going to play spoiler for North Carolina. Now it's sort of the reverse. So uh, UNC has the chance to play spoiler for NC State. And um, obviously that idea has to make every NC State fan absolutely sick because they already know that some NC State stuff, we'll keep it clean for the show, is probably on its way. Well, it seems like the result of that game is always the one you do not expect. And that was a couple of years ago. NC State played the spoiler on UNC when they were in the, the mix in the Coastal Division. So we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks here. Last game on the slate here. Clemson is a four-point favorite at Louisville. Uh, Clemson showed a little bit of life last week offensively. Will Shipley all of a sudden is back. 128 yards, two touchdowns against Florida State. Uh, is there hope with this Clemson offense? I mean, I know the quarterback situation has not really gotten any better, uh, but when you have a, a stud running back like that that can do stuff like that, all of a sudden you can go a different direction with your offense and pair it with a pretty good defense as well. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching Will Shipley in high school, and and he was one of the most dynamic high school players I've ever seen. And um, you know, you saw you saw that finally. You know, he's back healthy, thankfully. And um, I, I think that when he first went down with injury, you expected he was going to be out much more time than he was. Um, looked like it could have potentially been a little bit more gruesome. So just seeing him back at all was great. But yeah, if you're Clemson, knowing how how much DJ Uyagalale has struggled, how can you not give Will Shipley the ball? You know, twenty twenty five times in a game. Um, he he is dynamic. He's explosive. Um, I think that he could be a security blanket there. And I also think he's a guy who can catch the ball. And so if you're DJ Uyagalale and, and you're that you're Dabo Sweeney and you're Tony Elliott and you're trying to scheme up this Clemson offense, you know, I, I think that you look at maybe some some short passes to Will as well, and that can be sort of a fill in for for your run game too. So um, build some confidence for DJ. But no, this this Clemson offense finally. Um, got over 21 points which uh the fact that that is a hurdle that needs to be mounted this this late into the season is obviously sort of telling in its own um i I think i still probably go with clemson in this game you said it was four and a half four points yeah i think i still probably go with clemson here um that's putting a lot of faith in in him uh but i think that will shipley is sort of he's a guy who can be a stabilizing force for this offense and can take a lot of the pressure off of dj and obviously dj needs it he needs to get out of his own head still if it's more than a field goal right now i think i probably would take louisville even though i don't know how to peg louisville and, right you know they, they had a tough break kentrell clark uh standout cornerback is out for the year with an acl injury but i look at louisville how they've played this year and they're three acc losses they have led in the fourth quarter twice and they were tied with wake forest so this is a team that's been right there. They just haven't been able to finish some of these games. And I saw the end of that UVA game. Uh, I forget where. It's in the press box at Virginia Tech before a game, watching the end of that one. And it's like, man, they just gave that game away. I mean, they were right there in that. And they played Wake Forest as tight as anybody has this year. Uh, do we not give enough respect to Louisville? I have, that's just a team I have a tough time pegging this year. I can't. I just can't figure them out. Yeah, I'm with you. I, you know, I think that, uh, and I think that that's sort of, you know, the Malik Cunningham experience, right? Like, you know, you, you never know some weeks if you're going to get good Malik or bad Malik, but when he's good, I mean, he's one of the more dynamic quarterbacks in, in the ACC. So, um, yeah, I, I think that there's definitely a situation where Louisville wins. I, I think that just on the whole, their inability to close some of those games, um, and the fact that, you know, Clemson, even in spite of its offense and heavy emphasis on in spite of, um, the Clemson has still been able to close out some of those games, the close ones. They've made plays on the defensive side of the ball. They've, you know, gotten last second scores when they absolutely had to have them. I still think that I go with Clemson, but no, I'm with you. I think that Louisville is probably one of the more um, Jekyll and Hyde teams in the league. One of the one of the tougher teams to peg for me as well. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we've carved out some time here at the end for basketball. Basketball season is just around the corner. It starts up next week, and, you know, we did this podcast uh, all throughout the basketball season last year, and I sort of got some knowledge about basketball here, so I'm ready for this. You know, we got Justin Champagny and Matthew Hurt are back, and wait, these guys aren't back? They're all gone. A, I have to learn a whole new like roster of players what what is this yeah this you, is much tougher than football where guys are around for a couple years man things have changed in the acc right yeah it, it was pretty funny actually at acc tip-off uh for basketball media days in, in the middle of october and um not just media members but but even players from certain teams would be in the hallway and they would pass guys from different teams and, they, and you could hear them audibly go who is that and guys, guys don't know who else is in the league anymore. So, you know, we did an exercise where we had um, players sort of uh, do an anonymous poll and vote on who they'd most like to play with, who they'd most, you know, least like to play against, who's the toughest to play against, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we got as many votes for old players as we did for current players because that's how much turnover there's been in the league this year. And, you know, for, for as much transfer portal craziness as we've seen in college football and some of the high-impact transfers we've seen in the ACC and across the league, um, across the, the country, really, basketball has been that times 10. And every single team, seemingly, has brought in multiple transfers. Um, you know, all of the ACC contenders this year, Duke, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, uh, Florida State, they, they're all going to be relying on transfers to play heavy minutes. So uh, it's going to be a fascinating season. No, I think we're all just ready for it to get started. You know, um, Duke against Kentucky next next week in Madison Square Garden is a great way to sort of kick things off. But uh, no, unfortunately, Andy, you know, it's, it's back to square one for you. You got to learn all the names all over again. All right. Well, the players have had turnover, but fortunately, we have the stability in the coaching ranks. And, you know, you're going to have North Carolina and Duke will have the same. Wait, they don't have the same coaches either. Or oh, going no. To be a coaching transition. Roy is retired. Coach K is in his last year. How much is that? I mean, you're the Duke and UNC basketball writer for the athletic. How interesting has that made your job and and you know what kind of season is this going to be where there's already turnover at unc and there's going to be this transition that's taking place at duke yeah uh it has made me very busy um but in a good way i think that there's a lot of excitement around both of these teams and um you know for for sort of different reasons in the case of north carolina you know roy williams basically just dropped the mic on april fool's day and walked out of the dean dome the next day and said i'm out of here said i'm done i'm i'm you know (laughs) 
what a way to go <laughs> right that's just awesome like make it on a day where everybody doesn't believe you to begin with and just be like i'm done with this mess so the most somebody else's problem now the most roy williams thing ever um but you know so so he just sort of walks away and i think that we had heard a lot of rumblings about that potentially happening leading up to the end of the season and um just i think the way that a couple of things went towards the end of the year and the direction the sport was going overall i mean you, you look at the way that north carolina played last year and the national title game between gonzaga and baylor and it's like you were watching different sports in terms of the way they're being played. So um, in comes Hubert Davis, who is going to modernize things. You know, UNC in the days of having two big men in the post at all times are, are done. Uh, Hubert Davis is going to play some four out offense. You're going to see Armando Baycott shoot three pointers. I mean, all sorts of weird stuff is going on in, in Chapel Hill. But uh, it's all part of Hubert Davis trying to, I think, maintain UNC standing in the sport while also taking it to a new place where hopefully it can continue to thrive in the modern era. So um, obviously there's a lot of interest there. And then on the Duke side of things, you know, it, it's just the winningest coach in college basketball history, the multiple-time Olympian, the five-time national championship winner walking away, no big deal. Um, so uh, I, I think the interesting thing there is how do the players respond to the you know, glut of attention that Duke is going to have this season because everyone who plays Duke is going to want to send Coach K out with a sucker punch to the face. And everybody who plays the Blue Devils is going to give them their best because it's Coach K's last season and you want to stick it to him. So I think there's just going to be a ton of spotlight, a ton of pressure on this team, also because they're very good and have, you know, legitimate national title aspirations. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's certainly going to be a fascinating, weird year in Tobacco Road. But, um, I think that after the last few years of both of these teams kind of being down and not to their usual standards, fans will be excited just to see them back and competing for the ACC title. What is your favorite non-Duke Carolina storyline in the ACC this year? Uh, honestly, I think that it is at Virginia Tech. I think it's can Mike Young take the, you know, Virginia Tech last year, I think was sort of a surprise, both at the league and national level. And they were a, you know, a, a fixture in the top 25 most of the year. They had a guy in, in Kevin Aluma who ends up, you know, getting some all conference honors. He's in the all conference preseason team. Um, Mike Young's style, I think, was just so interesting, and they now have had a little bit of turnover. Some guys have left, some new guys have come in. Storm Murphy via the transfer portal, I think, is you know probably one of the more uh, cookie cutter fits. You know, he is perfect for what Mike Young wants to do. Obviously, played for him at Wofford. I'm really interested to see if Mike Young can make this thing last because I think that offensively, the the system that he plays and the style he plays is going to continue being attractive for recruits. Um, and, and as long as he's got Keve Aluma there this year, I, I think that he gives him the interior presence that they missed sorely his first season. So I think that there's a, you know, I voted Virginia Tech, I think, to finish third in the ACC this year. Wouldn't it all be surprised to see them compete for the ACC title? But I think this is the sort of year where we see, okay, was that just the league adapting to Mike Young and struggling to do so? Or is this something that's potentially built to stay? And based on everything that we know right now, I would probably lean towards the latter, which is a great thing for the ACC and obviously a great thing for Hoagies fans. Storm Murphy, I think headline writers across the country are rejoicing at that one. That's going to lead to some very interesting headlines on some of this stuff. Who did you vote as your uh, first team All-ACC player-wise? Because uh, I feel like there's a lot of new faces that are going to be in that group. There definitely are. So uh, a couple of holdovers. Um, you know, I had uh, Kevin Aluma in there uh, from Virginia Tech. I had Armando Baycott in there from North Carolina. Um, Isaiah Wong from Miami, who people probably have not heard his name before, but he's one of the more dynamic guards in the country. Um, and, and then a newcomer as well. You know, I had Paolo Bancaro from Duke, who... Uh, 
you know, the number two recruit in the country, number one recruit, depending on what service you look at, uh, a potential number one overall pick in the NBA draft. He is that good. Um, he's 6'11", 250 pounds, and um, basically Duke plays him like a guard. So he is. Uh, he was actually my pick to win uh, freshman of the year, to win player of the year overall. I think that he's just going to be an absolute stud from day one. So uh, if, if you are an ACC basketball fan, you're just coming back into things, the name to know in the league this year is Paolo Bancaro. Uh, he's going to be an absolute stud. He's so much fun to watch. Does he have a nickname? That's a difficult name to pronounce. Is something uh, P- shorter? P5. P5. P5, P5. Power yeah, 5? He, he, wears, uh, he wears number 5. He always has for uh, a number of years now. But, um, yeah, Paolo. Just just Paolo. You know, there's there's only so many of those in college basketball. But he's by one name. That's good. Paolo is like uh, Nene or all those soccer players there like that. I, I like that as well. How would you handicap uh, the uh, the race for the ACC title this year? And in doing so, give me your your dark horse pick as well. Who's somebody maybe off the radar that could surprise? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I feel like every year we, we say it's Duke and North Carolina. It hasn't been that way the past few seasons, but those are those are my top two picks right now. Those are my contenders. And, you know, I very much hope and, and hope that this comes to fruition. Coach K's final home game in Cameron Indoor in March uh, between Duke and North Carolina is is for you know sort of the final ACC title and how cool would that be? But um, I think sort of you look down the the lineup in terms of the league and who else could contend. I just mentioned Virginia Tech. I think they're a dark horse. Um, Florida State. I'm not going to write off Leonard Hamilton anymore. I just don't think that's a thing that we should do. If there's a team down the rankings that I kind of like a little bit, it's it's Miami. Um, and Miami was a team that basically didn't have enough bodies to play at times last year, uh, had so many injuries, Sam Wartenberg, Chris Likes, uh, Earl Timberlake. I mean, all these guys and Cam Augusti got hurt at one point. Now that all these guys are healthy again, they bring in a couple of recruits, they bring in a couple of transfers. I think that there's some really interesting um, dynamics going on at Miami. I think that if things break right, I think that Jim Marionega could potentially have an NCAA tournament team on his hands. And I think that the combination of uh, Sam Wardenberg inside, Isaiah Wong, like I mentioned, is one of the best players in the league outside on the perimeter. Uh, Miami's going to be a tougher out than they were last year. And I think that they could be a team that surprises some folks in the ACC this year. You are going up to cover Kentucky versus Duke the next week, correct? Correct. Is that in the garden? Where's that, that at? That's in the garden, baby. How exciting will that? I mean, that's a great way to start this off, and it'll be like an actual crowd at there, like a full crowd. Does it feel like it'll be back, like basketball's back, or is it hard to do in November? Uh, I- I think that's it. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than that, right? You know, the Garden, Duke, Kentucky, season opener. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see a couple of colleagues who are going up to, you know, Seth Davis will be there. Uh, Dana O'Neill will be there. Colton Pouncey will be there. Um, CJ Moore, Kyle Tucker. We've, you know, we've got a whole team sort of infiltrating New York next week. So, uh, but no, I mean, it's the biggest lights. It's the biggest stage. It's the biggest brands. It's Coach K's last year. You know, pick your storyline at that point. But uh, no, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, the ACC as a whole should be a lot better than it was last year, and um, I, I really just can't wait for it to get started. In my head, Andy, I know it isn't for you. I know it isn't for a lot of our listeners, but in my head, it is basketball season now, and I will gladly carry that flag uh, on this podcast. Well, I think there are a lot of ACC fans who might be with you because their teams have not been that good this year in football. So uh, we are definitely looking forward to your coverage up there, Brendan. Go follow him on Twitter. He's at Brendan R. Marks. Uh, he'll be covering UNC and Duke all year. 
and uh, we'll maybe do podcasts as well. I'm not sure. We haven't decided on the format of this podcast. Maybe we'll pop in every now and then in basketball season. Maybe we'll do it on a weekly basis. We'll figure that out in the future. But, Brendan, thanks for coming on this time and uh, talking a little football and hoops with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, thanks for powering through yourself. You did a great job. Yeah, if you hear all that coughing in the background, hoping they took that out in post-production, uh, we'll, we'll see if they did that. That's going to do it for the show. Thanks, everybody, for joining us again. Hopefully, I'll feel better next week. You won't be hacking and coughing as much. Uh, please go rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Keep in mind that I was sick this week when you're doing that, so don't give us too bad of a rating because of that. We like five-star ratings. That would help us get the word out on this podcast. Go subscribe to The Athletic as well. You can listen to this podcast ad-free. Go to theathletic.com slash pod. That gets you everything on the site. That gets you my football coverage, Brendan's basketball coverage, everything from all the national writers and every single sport. Uh, it's well worth the, what, six, five, seven bucks, whatever the deal is right now. You're, you're, you're spending more on coffee per month than you would be on The Athletics, so go up and sign up. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at AndyBitterVT. I'll be at Boston College this week. We'll come, back, we'll come back next week again to talk about the ACC action and week 11. <laughs>Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.